Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. everyone and welcome to the motorsport podcast in association with mercedes-benz what do you think of when someone says the word used old-fashioned out of tune a bit scratched something past its best chances are you're not thinking of a mercedes-benz and certainly not one of the latest models think mercedes-benz approved used suddenly there's a lot more meaning to that little word. Visit your local retailer to find your used car today, and you'll see what I mean. I like the way you work Mercedes-Benz approved used. Used, but not what you're used to. I'm Ed Foster, and I'm the online editor of Motorsport, and I'm joined by features editor Simon Aaron, editor Nick Trott, and our special guest, Paul Stewart. Thank you so much for joining us today and, and coming all the way to Finchley to, to come, and, come and chat. Thank you for having me. Um, we obviously also have Alan Hyde um, behind, behind the, uh, the audio equipment. Um, Alan, thank you very much as always. I, I know that you were filming The Queen last week, so it's not quite, as, not quite such an occasion as that, but hopefully we won't disappoint too much. Now, Paul, if I'm not mistaken, you're about to go off and have some lunch with Andrew Frankel after this um, for, the, for the lunch with Feature in the Magazine. Is that right? I, I believe so. I, um, yeah, he, he, well, he got emailed me and uh, actually it was through the BRDC, oddly enough. And uh, I'm surprised he could, that was an interesting way to get to me, but uh, it was nice that he got in contact. And so, um, so I'll be seeing him afterwards. So we have loads of readers' questions. Um, so we will come to those in a bit, uh, ranging from, from questions about Stuart Grand Prix to, well, loads of, loads of topics, which is great. Um, what I wanted to do was rewind right back to the start. And Simon mentioned that you might have borrowed a friend's driving license in order to go and uh, do a race uh, course. Is that, is that correct? And, and also faked your name as well. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was... Uh, it, basically, I, the first time I had a sort of burning desire, which, you know, call it the bug, was uh, I was 17. And um, I'd been to the British Grand Prix, and I had just got my driver's license. And up until then, whenever I was with my father in particular, you know, and you were at Monaco Grand Prix as a kid or something in the elevator, the obvious thing somebody would do is, you know, rather than engage my father, they would look down at me and say, you know, you're going to become a racing driver. And I would always look up and say, oh, not again, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I always said that. And then I did, had this experience at British Grand Prix. I had a one, I mean, I, I thought, this is interesting. I, I'd like, to, you know, maybe you know, more of this. 
And, um, and so I approached my father. I had got all the information on racing schools. Uh, at that time, it was to do it at Snetterton with the Jim Russell School. And uh, I had all the information set up. We were living in Switzerland at the time. And I had, right now I've got to go and tell him what I want to, I want to do this. <laughs> and uh, I still remember the whole, you know, the moment and, and I, it was a really difficult thing to, to bring up. Bearing in mind that my father, I knew, would never want me to become a racing driver. Unlike, you know, many young drivers that come through karting, he was, I knew he was vehemently against it. And really because so many of his friends had got killed. And uh, so it was understandable. And anyway, I said, look, this is all I want to do, this racing school thing. And he was so let down. You know, it was like, but I said, I've got to say it, you know. And uh, it took quite a lot of courage, bizarrely. And um, the bottom line is, he, we said, well, let's go in through. We'll talk, talk about it in my office in the house. And, and um, I remember going into the, uh, to his office at the time. And straight ahead of me was a picture of Joe Seifert. And he goes... There's another one, you know, and uh, and he he just processing all of this. And uh, actually, I was at the race where Joseph was killed, and that's one of the memories I have as a young boy. There's a whole I remember these these different things uh, with drivers having uh, getting killed. And um, anyway, we sat down, and he talked me out of it. <laughs> so so then I he said, look, if you go to university and you still want to do it. Then I'm then I'll, then I'll look at helping you out and seeing how we can you know, do it. But he was adamant that if I do it now, you're on your own. Now I'm living in Switzerland. I ain't got the money. There was no chance of me becoming a racing driver. It was a bit shorter, shorter racetracks as well, Switzerland. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the mountain roads are pretty good, but yeah. that's another story. <laughs> and uh, and so when I did go racing, I uh, went to the racing school at Brands Hatch, and um, I well, I before I signed up for it. Um, I said, I want to do it. He didn't set it up. He, I said, I'm going. I want to do this thing. And um, he said, well, and it was Stuart Turner. He said, we should do it under an assumed name. At, he was at Ford Motorsports at the time and had helped be part of my father's career. And so I borrowed my friend's driver's license. Robin Congdon was his name, which um, raised a few chuckles. And I, I sort of, you know, poor Robin, because he's a good mate. And I sort of felt that sometimes people <laughs> made fun of him. And, um, but that was it, under an assumed name. And it was just so that I could be, um, I could do it without anyone saying, oh, yeah, he's got potential. Here's Jackie's boy, all that kind of stuff. And uh, it, was, it, was a, it was good advice. And it, and it was a good thing. Yeah, help me. So, so going back to the moment where you realised you had this drive to be a, a racing driver, did that come from messing around at home on, on, on dirt bikes or was it the element of competition that you really craved at that point? There, there was obviously a trigger somewhere where you thought, mm. this, I have to do this. Well, I, I, I've always been very competitive um, in terms of sports and things. Team sports, not so good, but uh, things like cross-country running, uh, you know, I used to do a lot of that and um, skiing. Um, we had some motorcycles. My father uh, and mother bought my brother and I two little motorcycles one day. And um, it was out the blue. Again, he didn't want us. Everyone in Switzerland about my age had mopeds so they could all have a bit of freedom and go and see their mates and go into town. But there was associated dangers with being on the roads as a 14-year-old back then. It was when you were, I think, we were allowed to have it. And um, so he, I got, 
out of the blue, it wasn't even Christmas, these two motorcycles were there, a little one for my brother and a slightly big one for, my, for myself. And, um, but it was for dirt roads, you know, for dirt, you know, around the fields and stuff. And so I drove that thing into the ground. I mean, there wasn't a corner I didn't take, which I didn't sort of felt like extracted as much as I could out of it, no matter what it was, around a tree or there's nothing slow about it. So, yeah, and I've always been, comp I like speed. And I just didn't realize the connection between that and more, you know, and wanting to become a racing driver because it was that sort of obstacle, if you like, parental obstacle for understandable reasons. Um, but then when it sort of clicked and I got it, um, it was it was it was um, it was a relief in some ways, you know. Yeah. But you couldn't shake it. Well, I, 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 there's no way of me being dulled. I just you know I had no idea. So when I was at university. Um, and it was my last summer off. I'd worked in banks and God knows what, you know, New York and London and Geneva. And, and I'd sort of figured out, is this what it is when I, you know, <laughs> leave, you know, or, or whatever, that version of And uh, I said, well, this summer, it was the, the summer before I started what they call my senior year. It's a four-year course in America. And it was my last summer off. I'm going to do something. I've got to roll a dice here. And one of the things I looked at doing was working on an oil rig in Alaska. I said, I'll never do it any time in my life, but I'll, I had this fixation, I want to do it. And then, but the other thing was, if I could, you know, by some miracle, uh, do some racing. Um, having done that little short racing course, it was a spring break, while everyone else was down at the beach and having fun, um, during this American spring break, I was uh, doing the course at Brands Hatch, came back from that and said, I know I want to, see if we can put a summer program together. And um, at the time, people were starting to help out, actually. There was some, I started getting some deals, because I had some friends that I knew then, and they, um, and they said, oh, we could do this, we could do that. And I mean, all sorts, you know, Cellnet were quite heavily involved in the sport at the time with Damon. And that was one of the potential possibilities of putting a program together. And, um, and I was on my own on that, at that point. And um, and my father, we've always had a close relationship. Um, but for those who know him, he he likes to to have input. <laughs> he was feeling a bit left out at that point, I think. And he said, "Okay, right." And uh, he didn't want these people helping his son out in motorsports. And um, he didn't say as much, but that's basically how with the sort of the the seed that created the relationship that we had together which ultimately was led on to, to Paul Stewart Racing and everything else. Um, can I ask, when, obviously, you know, when you very first started, you went under your friend's name, but when you did start racing, um, how much of a burden was the surname? Because, I mean, I suppose you obviously grew up and you didn't know anything else, and you had people coming up in lifts saying, oh, you're going to be a racer, so you knew uh, quite about it, but was it, was it still quite a heavy weight on your shoulders? You know, I did, first of all, I didn't know any different, um, and... I think a lot of young drivers would have given the right hand to be in my position. So I kind of, I got that too. So I, I figured there's a little bit of, you know, if there was a little bit of uh, negative media around me being, you know, having an accident or, or something of that kind. And, and maybe even, I knew people might be thinking, oh, who's this upstart coming in? He hasn't done karting. He hasn't done this and that. And here he is slotting in to, to, to at that time, the, um, the junior Formula Four championship, Tans and Torsen series. And, um, but you know, I just had to get on with it. You've got to be thick-skinned, and, 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 and Simon will no doubt remember more about that peer than I will, possibly. Uh, I, I remember quite. The first time I met you was actually in the, um, 
cafeteria at Alton Park. I do remember that. Late eighty six, beginning of eighty seven. In eighty, it would be. It would have been eighty. It would have been eighty. Uh, oh, in eighty. You did the part. Well, it would have been in eighty seven. Was when I was racing in the full, in full former season. Ford. Yeah, yeah. I had three months during my summer break in America. So then went back to university. So that would have been up in Alton Park in in eighty seven. That was my yeah. first year. Glad, glad we can. We, we got the date tied down. <laughs> that, it doesn't surprise me that Simon knew exactly. Did I behave myself, Simon? Yeah, reasonably. You seem you, you seem you seem like a very well adjusted adjusted young lad. I thought, yeah, I know, you came across well. I'm kicking him under the table, <laughs> by the way. Well, that's that's a relief. Otherwise, that, cause, uh, the next forty five minutes could be quite awkward. Um, so, you mentioned Paul Stewart racing because that you started in eighty eight. Um, how did that come about, and, st- and wh- why did it start? Well, um, I uh, have it, I was racing with Van Diemen, and they had put a little sort of junior team, little team up for me. Uh, uh, not the, the senior championship, which Eddie Irvine was racing in. Um, Paolo Cacassi was doing the f- four for two thousand. There's a couple of other Brazi- Brazilians up there, and um, and I sort of worked out that having done the, the junior championship, I needed to go into a. Uh, I wanted to go up the following year, if possible, and. Um, uh, rather than do the senior championship, I can't remember what was going on then. I really didn't have enough experience, but the Formula Ford championship was potentially looking like a good way of developing. Um, it wasn't going to be as strong as a year before that when you had Leto and all those guys. Um, and I had gone to see some of the teams. I went, well, I saw you know Keith Wiggins, all these guys. I went around and saw them. Well, how much would it cost to come and? You know, what do you need? You know, do you have budgets? Not so I worked out all the numbers, and um, and then I can't remember who it was that said it, um, but I was you know thought maybe it could be done myself. It would possibly Adrian Reynard trying to sell me cars, and almost certainly Adrian Reynard yeah. trying to sell me cars. <laughs> I thought, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we looked at that uh, possibility, and. Um, it, it it made sense to me because um, it, at that level you don't need to, to to get too many people. I could, um, and I'd also had worked out. I was fortunate. I went to the Mexican Grand Prix in '86, and um, I met Duncan Lee from uh, from Camel, and we're on the plane heading down there, and he was in charge of the sponsorship for for, for motorsports, uh, and. Uh, I got on well with him, and then I got word that, and I didn't say anything to him at that point because I was still at university, and I got word that they might be interested in doing something because they were looking at, at, uh, at you know, at helpful being a son of a, of a Formula One driver, and they had a few other. They were doing uh, Paul Warwick. Uh, they were they had a David Brabham, David, Damon yeah, and people, yeah. And so, so I got in touch with them, and. Um, they were interested, and then I, uh, and then my father and I were working together on that at that point. And I can't remember what it would have been after that, but it was just like, look, we're going to start this thing, and then what do we need? We just need, you know, we had Roy Top as a mechanic and two other people, and, and that was, you know, that was it. We got going, and they provided, and we said, well, this is what the budget would be. Are you interested? And he said, yeah, we'll do it. So um, it was a pretty, uh, a pretty good way. When we knew for that, we could, we could make it work. And then we got a few other sponsors to come in that sort of allowed us a bit more uh, flexibility to do the things that we wanted to do it properly. Were you also keen to step up straight from junior Ford, Formula Ford 1600 to 2000, because you started quite late in the sport relative, relative to some of the other guys around you? I felt I had to do some catching up. And, um, and for sure, I was 
21 in uh, in, in 87. And uh, so here I am. And the only reason I was doing it was to become a Formula One driver. I mean, I wasn't doing it to, to have a play. You know, I was, I, w- I was serious about it. And I was, you know, committed and driven. Um, you know, one could question and we'll say, well, the team side, you know, is that, a, a, you know, should I be just concentrate the driving? And, um, you know, I'd been through university. I knew it was a risk. And I didn't want to be sort of left out in the cold, um, having sort of wasted valuable years of my life. And I was ambitious, so it it, uh, it made sense to have the team and to do it in Formula Four 2000. You said to, to sort of to just to sort of to get closer to Formula Three, and be a bit better prepared for, for 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 when that time was right to do that. I uh, what I wanted to do was just rewind you to Snetterton in 1989, um, and so you haven't <laughs> mentioned, mentioned Cadwell Park Formula Four 2000 win yet. <laughs> what did I do in Cadwell Park in Formula Four 2000? Remind me of that one. What did I do? Yeah, that was your first race win. What was that? Your first race win. Oh, Cadwell, yeah, of course it was. Yeah, sorry, I was thinking Alton for a second there. Yeah, Cadwell Park, absolutely. You know, I mean, th- thank you, Simon. Um, I mean, of all the places to break your duck. Exactly. Well, yeah. Cadwell Park was, was, was uh, for those who haven't been to Cadwell Park, it's uh, not many people have. I'm, I'm assuming, Simon, <laughs> yeah, you, you've been uh, it is, uh, it's a It's a fantastic circuit, a driver's circuit, ups and downs and all the rest of it, and jumps and things. And... Um, it was a key win, actually, if it's, it's relevant to this, to, to what you're asking me, because I had one race there, and um, I didn't do well in it, and then, and I was kind of pissed off as well before that because I was traipsing around the country with um, a van, driving this camel van with my racing car in the back of it. I mean, doing promotions for the Carphone Group at that time, and I, I literally I'd leave or workshop in, in um, down at that time was in, in Stockbridge in Hampshire um, and you know drive up to, to, to you know to Edinburgh to Newcastle you know up and then head back down you know for, to Alton for a test or and then meet up with Roy Top who had another car because we had two cars which was kind of one of the luxury that we had in case it was a problem or whatever and um, anyway I went down to Cadwell Park and I would before that been really sort of this is I can't do this. Something's got to give. I can't, you know, run all day doing these trips and get down, wake up in the morning, do a test, and so on. And there was a there was a moment um, when my I was speaking to my father, and I remember in the van by myself, and I was, you know, I hadn't had a good race, and I said, "Look, this is this is not working. You know, I've uh, I can't do both. I'm you know under enormous pressure." And uh, anyway, he talked me back into it again. <laughs> I should yeah. stop getting his advice. <laughs> <laughs> I love my father. But uh, he sort of, and, and I could, and I understood, you know, I could put my emotions aside. But, you know, but the bottom line is, he said, look, you know, if we could, we could really build up a good company here if we sort of just stick to it and all the rest of it. And bear in mind, I was the guy that was on the ground here doing it all at the time. So it was it was a great learning experience and it was things that I should be doing at, at, at that at that age you know but I went back to Cadwell Park having not done well in that in the first race there and I, I drove up and I arranged with I think it was Graham Glue to take me around the track uh, during the lunch break for a couple of laps or at the end of the day and uh, it's a hell of a drive up there and I left from Southampton went up um, and it was, we must have done four or five laps and it was all it took and something I picked up on and I went there for the next race and I won it 
and um, and that same weekend was the weekend that Camel had won the Italian Grand Prix when Senna was taken out by uh, by the the Williams and the chicane and Prost had had his retirement. So uh, they, I guess, must have had Camel in the car, and I won my race. And uh, somebody had said to me, "If you win one race a season, you've got your budget for Formula Three next year." And I was. You know, and I thought, that, you know, so it was pretty, it was a timely thing. And that's what led us to, you know, part of the ingredients. I'm not trying to claim everything here, but it, it was, it was part of the mix that sort of catalyst. And did, and did someone then say to you, if you win a race at Snetterton by crossing the line backwards, you've got your budget for the year after that? <laughs> no, Simon, you're taking advantage <laughs> of it. <something. laughs> Remember that dyslexia rules KO, you know, <laughs> getting things the wrong way around is part of being dyslexic. And uh, yeah, well, I, that was another experience altogether. And um, it was, uh, I'd started, so the, that was, f and stop me if I'm going on too long here, because I, um, I'd done, basically I'd done three months of Formula Ford, 1600, went back to university, got my degree, came back in and started racing Formula Ford in June of 88. So finished off that season, having done nothing in between. And then, her I was now going into Formula 3 in the beginning of 89 against, you know, uh, Ricard Radel, Hakkinen, McNish, uh, Brabham. Know, Brabham. There was a whole bunch of tough drivers. And at that time, there was two grid. You know, you had, a, a, you had to qualify to get in the main race, too. Um, so there's, they called it, you know, the, the wanker race. If you didn't set a good time in qualifying, you were in the, excuse me, can I say the wanker race? That's, that's what they all called it, you know. I'm, I'm not paying any judgment on it. And there was a couple of occasions I was in that. Um, but, you know, here I was learning a, against, you know, arguably the best championship, one of the best Formula 3 championships. And um, anyway, I had some bad races, and I, but I was learning. And then... Um, Snetterton that year uh, beginning to show break in there a little bit amongst the mix and then um, uh, uh, yeah I, I, I guess I, I would qualified third they had two grids I don't know what they I think I must have qualified first or second in my session maybe it was second but they used to qualify one side of the grid and the other and they did deem that my side must have been the slower session sorry the quicker session because I couldn't be up there with some of the more respected drivers. Um, and it might be dangerous to have it up there. I think that, that might have been something like Dick Bennett's that sort of argued that case in front of the Stuart, <laughs> who's representing the West Surrey and McNish and so on. And so the race started. Ironically, these two guys stalled at the start. <laughs> and I led away. And then, um, and then anyway, I was leading the race. I thought, oh, shit, what do I do now? You know, this is, this is pretty... And, um, yeah, you know, I just thought, I'm not... You know, first lap coming through. You've got Corum. There's a long corner, and then you got Russell Chicane. For those who remember that, was a fast chicane back then. Where if you got it wrong, it's big accidents. And uh, I, I still remember that first lap run. I said, "I'm not lifting through here." I had Higgins behind me, and uh, I'm not going to lift on my first lap round here. You'd normally you'd try to bed yourself in slightly, but anyway, kept my lead, and then I. God knows what lap it was on, but it wasn't that heavily into the race. And I came across a back marker where I could see him ahead of me, and I was going to catch him outside of this very fast chicane. And I said, 
I'm not lifting. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, if I lift now, Higgins is going to pass me. Reading up the next corner, so I kept my foot in. And I still remember, it was Dominic Chappelle, the guy that was involved in all this. BBHS yeah? stuff, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Dominic Chappelle in a Class B, I was laughing. And I remember I, he, his car moved as I came out the chicane, but it moved because he put his hand up to try and point where to go. But his steering wheel moved in that process. So I thought he went to the inside, he letting me to, and I committed, and he didn't. He wanted me to go other way around, and so I was committed to the grass, spun, and then try to keep it straight, bear in mind it's quick, and um, end up spinning across the line. But at the same time, Mika Hakkinen had a big accident, um, and he, uh, the car was upside down, and so they red flagged it. And I still kept on going, by the way, but I wasn't in the lead. And then they red flagged it, and because they take from the previous lap, I won it. Thumbs up to that one. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to win a race. Uh, the, the recall amazes me, you know, with, with racing drivers. It's, uh, my recall is rubbish, but just the, the detail. Um, I wish I could remember my classes the same way <laughs> as you know, being in a, in, in a racing car. So uh, Paul Stewart Racing then stepped up to Formula 3000. Um, and you're with Marco D uh, Apicella then. What are your memories of him? Because and, and, uh, he's a very quick driver. Well, he was one of my teammates. Um, that was my first, uh, I guess, in, in the first year of form of um, of, uh, of Formula Three Thousand. By the way, I think I should. I mean, I need to sort of at least one memorable year to finish off in eighty nine was Macau. Were you in Macau that year in eighty nine? I wasn't. No, no. So I, I got Alton an Park? entry. I got a <laughs> <laughs> probably. I got an entry to Macau, which at that time was was still the, the the big race for young drivers, and it was a little bit questionable. You know, did I deserve to be there because I hadn't won a championship, but I'd won the I won a race. So that, but I guess they wanted me in camel sponsors and the whole name thing. And but I'd never been to that race, and uh, I qualified third. You know, ahead of Schumacher, all those guys. And um, it was a proud moment actually. Unfortunately, my car broke down, um, and uh, I was in second place at the time. Schumacher had passed me. I'd never heard of this guy, and. I could still see this guy in the mirrors around the back section, and I, I'll take a wide entrance to this place because he can't pass me there, and I get a clean exit out. I, I mean, I, I, I didn't give very much, but this driver went in like a hammer, and it was uh, as he passed me, I thought, bloody hell, this guy is good. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was Michael. Um, but um, it was a proud moment, actually, because I shouldn't have been leading a race in Macau at that point in my career. And then to get back to your question, to Formula 3000, Apicella, he was very experienced. I always picked teammates um, that I thought were going to do the best for the team, not something that I thought was going to be, um, that I would have a better chance of beating or, or looking good in front of. And, um, you know, the same applied for Formula 3, Der Derek Hiddings, or, or, or um, for my second year of F3. Then you had uh, Otto Renzing, obviously, who had actually uh, won one of the races in Macau one year. And, so we always picked the right drivers. Napicella was one of those guys. He seemed talented. And uh, unfortunately, the Lola car was a disaster that year. And I was trying to learn a formula with a car that basically didn't work as well as a Reynard by a long way. And it was, it was challenging. And uh, even M Marco got, you know, gave up on occasions. If he, he, I, I, was, I just checked the stats the other day because I couldn't... I mean, Marco to me is one of the sport's kind of curious lost talents because he was clearly blindingly quick, very, very good, and yet very unlucky a lot of the time. 
I know he won the Japanese 3000 championship eventually, but um, he finished fifth in the championship in 91. I was trying to think, how the hell did he do that in the Lola T91? Because it, mm. it was a rubbish car. Mm. Mm. It, really now, was. it was, uh, well, I mean, it, it, I don't know how he did it. And, and um, you know, why he didn't go on, I'm not quite sure. I, uh, I know in a couple of races, you know, he probably didn't... Uh, you know, when he knew he was in chance of the points, uh, he didn't try as hard as he as he would normally do, um, and I don't know if that sort of reflected in somehow in in his in his future ambitions of racing. I'm not sure, you know, um, but he was a good guy, and I got on well with him, and um, you know, I enjoyed having a teammate that was that was stronger than me. I could learn off them. Um, but I, I I've lost touch with him actually, so I don't know what he's up to these days. But I don't know. You know, even though what his what his career did after that, but very nice and a very nice family. They were always very good to us, and you know, would welcome us to lunch at their house. We were testing a Mugello or something like that, and load us with pastas and God knows what. Around this time, obviously, your your ambition is developing. Um, you're starting to recognise where your skill is going to take you as a driver. Um, was your ambition? to reach Formula One or to be a Formula One world champion at this stage? Sometimes it's a, it's a different, no, no. It's a different uh, thing. Always to be a Formula One world champion and no other reason uh, for me to, to, to get there. Uh, I did not want to be just getting into Formula One for the sake of it. Um, and, and that's why I came to the decision ultimately that I did. Um, when after five full seasons of racing and two half seasons of, you know, when I beginning when I was at university, and, um, you know, I said, well, if I carry on my racing, can I be a world champion or not? I'd raced three years in Formula 3000. Admittedly, the first year, maybe not the best chassis. Um, but, you know, I hadn't won a race. I hadn't had sparkling results. Uh, I had a podium finish at Poe one year, uh, which I was still very proud of. Um, a bit of an incident on the podium in Poe, I seem to remember. Well, that was uh, in it, it was it was it was a bit of an embarrassing situation. That's right, quite right. You've got a good recall on that one. Well, I got out of the car and I was really thirsty. It's an hour and a half race or something like that in the streets. It was hot, and uh, Alan Maben at that time, my account handed me. I got out of the car. I was all proud. The only drink he had run was Barzine Brew, <laughs> 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 and that was one of our sponsors, by the way, <laughs> Barzine Brew, and. Um, and so I had, you know, I was hot, I was somewhat dehydrated, and I just took the bar, and I, and I almost could feel this thing sort of, this, you know, like a frying pan inside my stomach, just sort of congealed, and this sort of lump of mass sort of left behind. And I, I wasn't feeling very well, and I got on the podium, and I was, yeah, I was sick. <laughs> and, uh, and the poor people, are, you know, were kind of trying to distance themselves. Well, wasn't wasn't your dad about to hand you the trophy as well? Was he not up there? I can't remember. I don't remember that. No, I maybe, maybe I got that bit I wrong. It, it I do remember I the throwing up bit. Yeah, yeah. I, d I don't remember him handing the trophy. <laughs> I, can't, I admit that's possible. Maybe I was just trying to recover at that point. <laughs> I think it was. So it was uh, David was on the podium as well, DC, and Pedro it was Lamy. Pedro Lamy. That's right. Yeah. And well, in '93 that same year, you also tested the Footwork F1 car. Um, how how was that test instead? Because obviously you had, your progression had been very quick up until then. Formula three thousand, big step from F three. It must have been another huge step, having not sort of done as much racing as as, as the others. Yeah, well, I mean, it was it was Jackie Oliver called me up and said, "Do you want to shake the car down at Silverstone?" At that point, I was still intent on becoming a Formula One driver, 
And during the season, I thought, absolutely, what time? <laughs> I'll be there. And it was a good car that year as well. It was full active ride and everything else. And so I did the shakedown and then um, loved it. And I drove it three times, I think, in total. I did another shakedown test and another test with you know, all the drivers out the track. And uh, I think I, I seem to recall doing a respectable time. I think it was quicker than Verstappen at the time. But he had, um, but I don't recall more. Well, than I, that. what I recall particularly about that is that the race after the test, you dragging me into the Paul Stewart motorhome and sitting down and complaining about the UK press bigging up Jos Verstappen when, <laughs> when you and a couple of the other guys, when you compared like with like, had done at least as good a job. And you were, yeah, it wasn't me that had written anything, but it, one of the magazines, which might be a weekly and begins with an A, had put, <laughs> had, had put Verstappen on the front cover. And you were, I remember you, you were kind of. You're yes. very, yeah, very indignant about that. That's well, I'm glad I was being I don't know why feisty you about it. That's, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. But, I, but I don't know why you picked on me to have a rant at, because it had nothing to do because with me. But uh, A sounding board, <laughs> maybe. I'm glad, I, I'm glad as a sounding board then. I knew you'd tell me as it is if you'd if <laughs> if you, you know, ping it back, I, I'm sure. But I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 um, I must have been heated about. To be honest with you, I'd I'd uh, I'd forgotten I'd been that that um, sort of uh, competitive about it. But um, I, you know, that I was still wanting to become a Formula One driver, and I was, I believed I could do it. You know, I and until I felt look, what's you know realistically, and that's when I at the end of that season, um, and I, you know, it's it's not it's it's. Coincidental that I got married at the end of that year, um, but that wasn't a factor in it. It was just I just stepped away and I and I thought about it and and I thought you know I only want to do this to be if I've got a potential for being a Formula One driver. And I and I thought well you know I haven't if I haven't ticked the boxes yet why would it not that it would be impossible you know I mean Damon did it you know and that was sheer determination that got him there and you know total respect to him. I'm not saying I could have done the same job as he'd done, but um, you know it would have been possible. But I felt that Paul Stewart Racing at that time had the potential of of growing into something more substantial, that would play an important part of my life and would would be you know as a trade-off, but it'd be stimulating and it would allow me to 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 you know to 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 live out some of my dreams. You know, so that was the that was the pendulum decision, and I made that at the end of the season. And I mean, I was I was driving well at the end of the season. I remember doing a test for Lola up at Silverstone, you know, and I was it was a Reynard Lola back to back, and you know, I mean, I, I was doing times that were incredibly quick, and I was stepping into one car doing a time. I mean, you know, much faster than pole position, colder conditions, but they were very competitive. Into another car, boom! I had such confidence. Um, but you know, I just I was just rational about it, and I said. You know, I had a vision for the long term, and I saw this as a as being something. I didn't think Paul Stewart Racing could carry on if I went into Formula One as a driver, and um, you know, my father and I had to be working together to make that happen. And to think, well, I could have been a Formula One driver, and then my father worrying about stuff, it it wouldn't have. I'm sure I know he didn't want that, and it would have been the wrong way of going about it. Did you get cold turkey? from being a driver or did you not have the time to have a, a cold turkey a withdrawal from the buzz of driving a racing car um you know i was really good at, i was I, di- I didn't have a problem with it at all i felt when i made that decision i made the de- decision and it was in my control it wasn't mm. being forced upon me so it hadn't been taken something being taken away from me yeah. 
because I could have very well gone in and driven Porsche racing or potentially gone into Formula One mm -hmm. that following year because there was I had been to Minardi uh, I'd been to Bologna done the whole thing with them they were trying to get me to go there and um, you know I, I did you know Jackie Oliver hadn't said no to me and it was you know it was contingent on me bringing in a, a budget which mm. seems incredibly small nowadays yes. when you think back of it, but it was achievable mm. um, so no I didn't I didn't I was all I was good with it I never felt like I'd missed out um, but also I'd grown up with knowing that my father had stopped racing on his own terms. Mm. A bait, his teammate got killed in his last race, but um, Francois Sever. But so I, I knew that it, it, you know it was a good thing to this, you know to stop mm. decide when you're when you're in control of it. Yeah. Mm. Now I'm going to come on to uh, Stuart Grand Prix in a second, um, and lots of the readers' questions. But I just wanted to mention um, the the offer from Mercedes this month, um, which is a 25% discount off the AMG Basic Training half day course. Um, which is a track driving experience with expert tuition. It's something that I could probably do with um, after my ham-fisted attempts at Blyton uh, last week. Um, experience can be booked and uh, completed, but it has to be done before May the 31st. Uh, just call Mercedes-Benz World on 0370 400 4000 and quote the offer code AMG25. Um, there's loads of stuff that you do, the slalom handling, obstacle avoidance, oversteer, understeer. Um, again, very would have been very useful before the Blyton <laughs> test last week. Um, but uh, so that's uh, the offer code AMG25 and the number is 0370-400-4000 or you can go to mercedes-benzworld.co.uk. Um, it's, uh, it's an amazing place, so it's, it's absolutely worth going to have a look at that. Um, so the Stuart Grand Prix, when, when did that decision get made and, and why? Because it, it, it was obviously a huge step up. What, what was the trigger? Well, um, uh, I, I told my father uh, we're in um, Florida, actually. We're doing some work with Ford Motor Company um, uh, with some vehicle dynamic engineers in, at, in Naples, Florida. They've got a track down there. And um, it was at a dinner that one of the nights that we were there. Um, I told him that I'd made a decision about stopping racing. And he did not push me at all, by the way. This was completely out of the blue for him. And um, I said, I've thought about it. This is the decision I've come to. And I said, but, you know, I want to develop Stuart racing into something more substantial. And I, at the time, there was different possibilities. I saw uh, British touring cars, um, German DTM, Indy cars, or the dream being Formula One. To be honest, the Formula One thing was 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 just was just uh, you know was you had to have it, but I didn't think it was going to be realistic, you know. But it was still the, the things that we were considering, and so um, that next you know from then on that would have been um, so that was end of '93, so '94 and to some degree '95, much of '95 was really spent going to races. I went to Long Beach, you know. I looked at the whole thing, the franchise system, what you put up. Um, DTM, I did all that, you know, and worked at the budgets, um, British touring cars as well, and um, I guess the two we really pursued more. Uh, the British touring car championship seemed to be an interesting one because it was on a doorstep and easiest for, for us to manage, and um, so we had all the things going. We had a, had a collaboration with uh, Adrian Reynard at the time on it, 
and uh, we put together a good proposal. And uh, really, then my father was on a flight um, to Detroit or from the Canadian Grand Prix, and Ford were unhappy with what they were doing. And at that time, with whether their their efforts in Formula One, and um, and said, and he was talking about, he said, well, if you're interested, put a proposal in, you know, do a proposal um, to do Formula One. So uh, out of that, I got my head buckled down and put a team together, and we put a proposal to Ford Motor Company, um, Rob Armstrong and myself, and um, really, we. I contacted Martin Sorrell, um, who's you know big in the media and WPP, and asked for his guidance um, because he was doing a lot of work with Ford, as agencies were, and so um, he put me in touch with his, his agency in in uh, in in Detroit and said, look, they can help you put it together and structure it in the Ford language, and. Um, you know, we, 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 we went back and forwards, did the whole thing um, with them, and then submitted it. You know, it's just putting all the numbers, working out the budgets. David Stubbs was involved, putting the numbers in and all that kind of stuff. So it was a good little team. And then we submitted it, and um, and they came back and said, we want to do it. And so that would have been, by this point, we were sort of getting towards the end of 95. Yeah, at the end of 95. And um, I think that's, yeah, it would have been. And then, so they said, yeah, we're on. And um, that was it. That was the start of it. So we got a, you know, the confirmation that we did. We got turned down to the British, for British Touring oh. Car Championship. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I won't see who it is, because it, but uh, we got turned down because of, they thought we're a bit concerned about the Vauxhall Lotuses in your, in your garage being the racing team, you know, and all that kind of stuff, and, and a Formula One, you know, and uh, so we'd rather not do the touring car operation, do it with somebody else. I thought it was a feeble excuse. But the same day, we got the confirmation, we got the Formula One deal. I thought, well, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> you know? But it's different people. <laughs> well, it, was, it must have been quite daunting, even after that sort of, um, you know, that faith from Ford to step up to Formula One. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a competitive environment. All motor racing is, is, to a certain extent, competitive. But Formula One, you know, is known as the piranha pool. Um, were you at all concerned? I mean, you know, bearing in mind that fifth race, you've uh, finished second. I mean, it must have been quite an incredible journey. Um, well, you know, basically, you're just ignorant and you're brave and you just got to go ahead. You know, I was at, uh, I was ambitious and you don't worry about these things and thick skinned and you think, well, I've got a year to set up a Formula One team. You just got to get it done. You don't think I can't do it. You know, it's get it done or not do it at all. So it never, never occurred to me that I, oh, I'm getting into some nasty bits of work here. And I mean, actually, the clever thing that we did was we went about it and no one actually knew about it, that we got the deal from Ford. I mean, not even Bernie did. Because um, he, I remember we got a whole bunch of coverage and I, uh, you know, you always know when Bernie sort of is interested or something. And I walked into a restaurant in London and he was there. And he was like, you know, on to, and he normally just ignore me. And I'm like, he was, but no one knew about it. And um, so, so it was, you know, the Piranha Club thing is, um, fortunately I'd known people for many years already because I'd grown up with it and 
people like Ron Dennis, I, I, I respected highly, and, and and so on, and and you know, Frank, and obviously Ken Tyrrell, you know, is a is a family member, really, Ken, or and uh, so there were certain elements there which I felt I could talk to people and you know trust what they were saying, or or they wouldn't deliberately try and and and, and put me off course. So, but yeah, no, ignorance is bliss, really, and um, and fortunately. By get people in that were that shared the vision and, and knew it could be done. As I, say, I, I do recall uh, I came up to uh, well, it had been your Formula Three workshop. It became the Stuart Grand Prix base, and it's now the Red Bull factory. It's still the same place. But I came up there in '96 as it was all coming together. You invited Mark Skews night there for for lunch, and I'd, you guiding us around the place. I mean, I'd never seen anyone quite so full of enthusiasm for it. It was lovely. I mean, but it, just to see this thing coming up, and, but your, I mean, your passion for the whole thing, I mean, it really, Mark and I left up, yeah, he really is you know, up for this, isn't he? I mean, it was, it was, fun, it was fantastic to see. Well, I'm, I'm glad I left that impression again. You're probably going, this guy's never going to do it, but I'm glad he's got the enthusiasm, you know. <laughs> at least, at least yeah, he's keen. So by that point, we were doing that. We had, we were, we had, we had, in 96 is when we were creating the team. Yeah, we yeah. Were hi- I was hiring all the people. Gary Anderson was already with you and quite a few the other world people. Would, uh, and Gary didn't join us. Oh, no, no, it would sorry, have been no, Alan Gary. Jenkins. Alan, yeah, sorry, Alan, yeah, it was, yeah. Again, yeah, it was Alan, yeah. Um, and, and various other people were there, and you, all the CAD stuff was installed. You wouldn't let us see the drawings, but the... Um, all the CAD stuff was installed. Yeah, it was. It was a, it was a functioning racing team. Yeah, the the the, the design office was in our was in the the truck bay of the of the of our, you know we basically kicked the trucks outside and, <laughs> and that became the design office. I had Alan was uh, was one of the first hires and I knew I needed to have a technical guy that I respected. Uh, Alan had done a very good job that year and the year before with the arrows which I drove at Silverstone. Uh, they were struggling as a team, I think, financially at the time. And um, I called Alan up and I, I said, are you interested? And he goes, you know, yeah, I'm interested. So we had a conversation. We struck a deal very quickly. Um, and that was a key because the fact that they were also just down the road in, in you know, in Bletchley or, you know, it's technically Milton Keynes. Um, he just had to sort of, instead of taking a right at the roundabout, <laughs> he took a left and he got to us. Um, but yeah, it was a very simple set up back then but we got it done yeah now i keep mentioning these readers questions i really should take some um i've got one uh to hear from bob spry uh hi paul i hope this finds you well was jan magnuson really as lazy as they say could he have done more (laughs) to realize the potential your dad saw in him obviously he drove for stuart grand prix the first first two years um so yeah Jan, jan magnuson well, uh, uh, my first meeting with Jan was my father and I, we met him at Heathrow uh, Airport, and he had sort of cleaned up that year in the championship that he was doing. And we met up one of the airports there, one of the airport hotels, and, um, you know, he showed up with jeans, T-shirt, jean jacket. Not the best way to impress my father in this instance, but his, his, his thankfully for him, his record spoke for, himself, spoke for himself. And um, he came and drove for Formula 3 for us. Um, and um, you know he was he was just so relaxed and easygoing I mean he had an aura about him that year that was a you know there was magic dust on him really and he just was so confident Um, and whatever it was it was frustrating because he was uh, you know there was there was a a sort of a a communication enthusiasm that that was uh, 
you know, he, he, he wasn't easy to sort of t to get along with. But, you know, a lot of guys that are really good aren't. And so um, I respected that still because he could deliver in the, on, in the car. Um, you know, he smoked, uh, you know, and that was never a great thing as a, as a young race driver to sort of be. But, you know, it, still he was winning races. Um, but I still saw the potential in them in, in the right environment. And, um, you know, he was ambitious. Um, but, you know, at the end, he didn't have enough of a, of a work ethic that was going to, the talent alone is going to get to a certain position. But then it's the work ethic. And, and really, it's not just fitness, but it's, it's just working with the engineers and beyond, you know, with your track engineer. And I think Jan... Um, uh, maybe didn't make the most of that opportunity. I'm sure he was frustrated by certain things um, that we didn't do well as a startup. Um, but you know, <laughs> I mean, I remember doing we're doing a money raising thing in Denmark, and we'd all my father had organised it, and we we're all out there, and it was at the top of building. It was um, a caviar distributor, and he had got some of his key people to to be there uh, for this lunch. You know, Jan shows up late. You know, I mean, it was, you know, you get there early for that kind of stuff. And it was things like that, unfortunately, I think. I don't want to be negative on Jan because, I, you know, I love him dearly. And he was hugely talented. But I think there was a part of him that possibly uh, an ingredient that he, he that, that missed. But he had the talent. And I, I and he justifiably felt upset when we let him go in, uh, in 98 in the middle of the season, the Canadian Grand Prix. And uh, it was not, you know, and it, things were just beginning to come into place, ironically. But did he have the potential to deliver longer term? And we had to have these question marks. And um, I wish it had worked out. And I love to, s and I love the fact that Kevin has made it into Formula One because Kevin was just was was born when Ke when Yan was racing with us in Formula Three. So I remember that well. And, um, and interestingly, it was Jos Verstappen who replaced yeah. replaced him, and and obviously Max now in, in F1 as as well. Yeah, well, yeah, but in the same, circle. you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This, I mean, Max in the same team, you know, in, in the same team that his father was racing in, effectively the same company. Um, yeah, no, I, I it was um, uh, yeah, Jost drove drove for for half a season for us, and. Um, you know, it was it it was good. He, he he did a good job for us, but in the end, we want to go for Johnny for ninety nine. I'm glad we did. Interestingly, for 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 Jan as well, is that that moment could have finished his his career um, psychologically. It could have affected him seriously. But he he continued and made um, a steel racing today. He's been a Corvette works driver for a long time, and I think it's credit credit to him that he's still a professional racing driver, whereas others may may have broken them that yeah. that moment. Oh. Well, I, again, you know, respect for anyone that can that can do have a career that long in motorsports, and his talent is is enormous. There's just he's got something that you know gives him an understanding of the car, and you know I'm sorry that we couldn't you know do create an environment or or work with him close enough to say look come on, you need to do this, this, and this, because it's, it was a huge talent. And, and in, you know, in Formula 3 that year, he just, everything, he, he couldn't get it wrong, you know, and it was just so relaxed. And But, you know, maybe it came too easy for him, and he thought, well, if I can do that now. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm you know, I obviously I've heard, what, you know, how things were, I was always interested in what happened when he was doing things. And, you know, he probably could have worked harder in the gym. 
and things like that. Um, so I'm sure he would stick his hand up on certain elements, but um, but I'd happily have a beer with him anytime. I remember one of his management team at the time saying that um, one of the biggest challenges with Jan was getting him out of the pub and into the gym, and and it and it was and it was a very you know it was very challenging. Yeah. I think my wife would say the same thing, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. um, I've got another question here from Ed, Alf Wald, um, and he says the SF3 was a great car. What are your memories of that crazy race at the Nürburgring when Johnny Herbert got the win? Um, what the memories was just being disappointed. We qualified badly, and we were like something like Diamond 14th, 15th, or something really badly. Can't qualified. recall. Hmm? Can't recall. Um, but it was, <laughs> it was, it was, it was, uh, it was not a good qualifying that we did. I don't remember what happened, but it, the car had been a good car all year, and we had led different Grand Prix. We led in Brazil, we led in at the French Grand Prix, so the car clearly was was a good car, and um, we were lucky that race, and um, it was great to get the win, you know. But you know, really. Um, at that point, I mean, the most emotional result for me was Monaco 97, uh, without question. That was a really emotional, professional experience that, you know, was, was, it was very surreal. Winning that race, there was an element of, okay, we were lucky, but we had finished the podiums uh, that season regularly, or we were, you know, we were regularly scoring points anyway, and, um, and then could have scored more if the car hadn't had a problem. Um, so I, I was, I, I wouldn't say it was enormously emotional. I remember we left the track, um, and I remember I'm on the way to the airport, Norbert Haug calls me up and he goes, where are you? You know, who was, Norbert was running the, was the Mercedes representative, you know, running for, for, with McLaren there. And, uh, he was all pissed off I'd left the track, you know, he said, get your ass back here. We need, you know, the rest of it. So, um. It was a professional thing, you know, I was ready for the next race and so I don't know if that answers the question, no, but no, it, was, it, does, it was it was, uh, it was great. Um, I, well, I tell you what, here's another memory from it. Um, um, you know, we could have got a one-two there and uh, at the time it was raining and Rubens came on the radio and he said, shall I come in now? No, if I had said come in now, he would have won the race and Johnny would have been second. But it was not protocol for me to override and call in because if it had gone wrong and I had stuck my neck out, but it would have meant stacking the, um, the, the cars or whatever. It was something anyway, but he had to do an extra lap and that lost him that time that allowed Truly to get in front of him. But I, that's, the, that's my memory of that race is Rubens coming on the radio and then by the time I was going to give him an answer, he was, pa he was past it. What, what, what did you think of Rubens as a driver? I mean, obviously, he's, he's still doing bits and pieces now, but um, when he was with you, I mean, he, he uh, there was so much kind of excitement about him early on in his career as, as just a really, really fast driver. Um, what, what are your memories of him driving for you? Well, I mean, I knew him and I watched him, you know, with former Vauxhall, if you like, because we were obviously in the game then with Paul Stewart Racing, so he hadn't raced for us, and he raced against us in, obviously, in Formula 3, he was with Dick Bennett's, and Coulthard was, was his main rival that year. Um, and uh, so I was always impressed by his speed uh, and natural talent. Um, and I mean, I uh, what are memories of Rubens? And uh, I mean, I I had a great relationship with Rubens. I, I really got on well with him. And he needs to be loved. He likes that sort of arm around you. And you, if there's a problem, 
Rubens might have got, um, you know, if you could settle that problem, and it was generally pretty straightforward to settle. You know, he was, you know, he was uh, next race, you know, would fly, and um, he came to me at the the, my first proper contact with him was in um, the Portuguese Grand Prix of 96. And at the time, we were trying to get Damon to come and join the team. And uh, he was poised to win the championship. And I said, if we're serious about this, and the world champion is potential, or the, the potential world champion is, is, is going to be is available, um, we should go for it. And uh, I guess the announcement had been made that he wasn't going to race with Williams or something at that by that point. So we were full throttle trying to get Damon. And then when that didn't work out, at the time I had previous discussions with uh, Rubens, and it was Gary Anderson and Rubens that came to me to, together. We had a meeting in the Ford Motorhome. And uh, Rubens was not in a good state. He wasn't happy with the team. He was flustered. And um, and I... And I, I you know, I thought I can work with Rubens. I know him. I wanted a driver I could look in the eyes and say, you know, and work with him basically. And um, he ticked that box, and I, I really enjoyed my time with him. I we still are close. Um, and um, you know, he uh, it's a shame he couldn't have won a race for us because you'd deserve to because Rubens um, was really the backbone of the success of, of uh, from the driving side of Stuart Grand Prix. Which gave you the greatest satisfaction, standing on a podium yourself or seeing your car on a podium in Formula One? Uh, I, I, seeing the car on the podium in Formula One. I mean, I remember when that race finished, um, going up to the podium. I thought, you know, everyone runs up to the podium from there, and we were. I don't know where we were. Uh, we're other end of the. We had a bad year in '98, so we were down the other end. It's so a long way to run to get the podium, and uh, we had our wet weather gear on. And my father had his wet weather gear on, and I and there was this sort of moment of like who goes up on the podium, sort of thing. And uh, and I know him well enough. And I looked at. Her, I said, "You better take your trousers off. You're going on the podium. <laughs> you know, better take your wet weather gear off." <laughs> and uh, and and that was my sort of sort of gesture to him if you like um without it becoming a and uh, so i was very proud to see them both up there on the podium uh, my father up there and obviously rubens and johnny i felt for jo i felt for 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 for, for rubens because you know obviously he, he felt that the win was in his grasp and um you know but uh uh you know it was it was a great moment you know we're running out of time uh, very quickly but we have a few more questions i'd like to get in you would talking about your, your dad just then, there's, there's a question here from Anthony Jenkins, um, and he's asking, what is the best characteristic you've inherited from your father, and what is the worst? Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I'm, Simon could I'm, answer I'm both. Merely, what are you guys I'm good? I'm merely <laughs> passing on the message. Don't, so, um, yeah, from Anthony. Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm determined. I, that's certainly my father determined. The worst I've got my father, I, I, not over to you, you guys. I'm, I can take anything. I, you know, we're, we're, I'm saying nothing. Uh, I've taken some qualities from mother too as well, which uh, I'm enormously proud of. Um, but... Um, no, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I, I know I'm, I'm full of limitations. I'm a dyslexic. Uh, my approach to things is sometimes unorthodox, but there's enthusiasm there. And I found in life that that's a key ingredient, making things happen. You know, if you're too clever about stuff, you're going to think about all the problems and, uh, and convince yourself that something's not possible. Whereas if you're just a little bit 
blissful ignorant about something, you just you just go for it, and then you sort the problems out as they come along. Yeah. Well, there's a question here from Jamie Smith, who's asked a few, but there's there's one about um, Francois Severt. Uh, he, he's a huge Francois fan, and he'd love to hear any memories that you may have of him. Obviously, you were extremely young um, when he died, um, but did he leave an impression on a young Paul Stewart? Well, the biggest impression Francois left on me, I mean, it was always his presence was firmly felt in our family because I knew how close my parents were to him. But unfortunately, my best memory of him is being when he got killed. And um, because I remember, well, I was seven years old and um, and we were staying at some friend's house because my parents obviously away at the Canadian Grand Prix. I was staying at some friend's house and then boarding at the school uh, during the week. And um, and the TV news came on and it said that Jackie Stewart and Francis Sever encountered death at Watkins Glen today. So uh, here I was being telling you know that my father had died, and and I as far as I'm concerned, he, my father was dead. You know, and I was trying to rationalise this not can't be possible. You know, not I mean Joe Bonnier's kids I used to go to school with. They had died, his dad died, York and all these things. I thought, and they had said actually, Joe Bonnier's kids, and they remember on the bus one day going to school, they said, your dad's going to be next because their dad just died. So they figured, well, it's obvious. So I thought, here, it, you know, it is now time. And, I, and, I, uh, and then I was told after that, actually, uh, they got clarification because he obviously didn't have mobile phones and everything else and internet. And uh, it was Francois that had died and not my father. So there was an element of relief, sadly, um, but I remember it very, very well, and it marked my, you know, it was an important sort of ingredient in my growing up. Blimey. Um, sorry about that, guys. No, so it's an experience cheerful. that, you know, no one would ever want to have to go through. But, uh, yeah, but um, he was, but I guess a positive one of Francois, I mean, I, I, you know, my father has great stories about him, but, you know, there's one picture in, in one of the scrapbooks at my parents' home, and it's him showing up for the Paris Motor Show um, with a fur coat on, and it was always an early morning appearance, and it was he was scared. He arrived there, and he brought Bridget, Bridget Bardot with him, and no one knew that he was with Bridget Bardot. And he arrived for an early morning appearance. Generally suggested he didn't pick her up, pick her up on the way there. And this glamorous Frenchman who was you know as good looking and with Bardot, and he he was he he was an extraordinary man, and uh, had a you know had a really good impact on our family. Oh, we think we think Lewis is is Hollywood at the moment, but is there yeah. anything, no, is there anything cooler than turning coats. up in a fur coat yeah. to the French yeah, Grand Prix exactly. with Brigitte Bardot? Yeah. Um, now I've just got time for sort of another couple of questions. Uh, this is this is another one from Jamie actually, who has a real soft spot for Stuart Grand Prix, um, a startup team done properly and achieved great success in its short lifespan. Um, he wants to know: Was it a wrench to sell to Ford, or did you view it as a somewhat of a relief? The pressure to get it right and then maintain a high level of competitiveness, competitiveness must have been enormous. You know, we would never set the company up for sale. I thought, you know, if it ever was going to be for sale, it would be a going sort of concern with different arms to it that were, you know, that were working with manufacturers or whatever they're doing. And, um, you know, I saw sort of like 18, 20 year horizon sort of thing. And when Ford said to us, look, we want to have our own Formula One team. We want to do the Jaguar thing, et cetera. We want to buy it out. Um, you know, it, it, we could have gone and said, no, we're not doing it, but they would have gone elsewhere. And without a manufacturer in Formula One, it's a completely different story because you can't attract the sponsors and everything else. So in the same way, when you're... So I um, I wouldn't say it was a relief when we sold it, but um, 
you know, financially, it, it, it created opportunities that I'd never expected at that early stage of, of my young professional life. Um, so there were pluses in that, but that wasn't, you know, I, I, I guess I was worried that if we had not sold to them, we'd have been in this huge dilemma of how do we keep banks like HSBC and our big sponsors who wanted to be with a, with a manufacturer like a Ford backing it all up. Um, and I think probably the other thing was, you know, if in hindsight it happened at a perfect time because I, got, you know, I, I managed the transition, unknowing, but I was unknowingly, you know, I developed cancer by then. So any regrets I had uh, when I was told I had cancer to go through the chemotherapy thing, and that was in 2000, you know, Imola, uh, first European race, you know, it all sort of like, oh, thank God for that. You know, that's good timing because I can concentrate my treatment and hopefully getting better and getting out of it. Just on a, on a related question, what do you make of the fact that the Ford Motor Company, big global automotive institution, kept the team for five seasons and had a couple of podiums, but never really made fantastic progress. And then a fizzy drinks company comes in, takes over that team, and within five seasons has turned it into a race winner and a title challenger, and as we subsequently saw, a multiple champion. Well, I think um, when we entered Formula One, what Red Bull are doing now was what we, that was our, that was our ambition. I mean, we were only doing it to, to, to win. And I, and I think, um, I think financial circumstances change priorities for Ford. Um, I think maybe um, you know they they were trying to do it maybe in a, in a more economical way than say Mercedes and so on were doing it, and other manufacturers that were sort of committed to it. And um, I think that that you know I'm not saying you know it was just Ford because I mean we could have done more if we had bigger sponsors as well. So um, it's just having that. That, that that sort of un, you know not to say unlimited budget, but what do you need to operate and then let's do it. And I think we could have done that had we had all that, but we were, you know, um, I don't know if I answer your question, Simon. But I mean, I uh, I'm not putting blame at anyone's feet, but I think certainly uh, Ford. I did get a letter of apology from 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 uh, from somebody senior in Ford and 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 the way it had been handled, and I appreciated that because an acknowledgement that they underestimated what we had done, and I thought that from a big manufacturer was was, was nice, and I have a huge respect for the, for the company, but I think they probably maybe had had the big company syndrome and then and maybe we behaved in a certain way that they that got their backs up on things maybe they didn't like tartan or something i don't know <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but in, in at the end i think they realized well actually bloody hell this was a this is a good job and you need to be hands-on to run a team like that and that was not the way they were going to do it that well, I think a very fitting note to end on. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I hope you enjoy your lunch with Andrew um, coming up now. I'd, sorry, you've had a double whammy of talking about your, your career. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm sure it'll be delicious lunch, but thank you so much for joining us. Nick, thank you very much for joining us, and Simon. And as always, thank you so much to Alan for making us all sound better than we are in real life. Uh, we'll see you all in a couple of weeks for another Motorsport Magazine podcast in association with Mercedes-Benz. Bye-bye for now. What do you think of when someone says the word used, old-fashioned, out of tune, a bit scratched, something past its best? Chances are you're not thinking of a Mercedes-Benz. And certainly 
not one of the latest models. Think Mercedes-Benz approved used. Suddenly, there's a lot more meaning to that little word. Visit your local retailer to find your used car today, and you'll see what I mean. I like the way you work here. Mercedes-Benz approved used. Used, but not what you're used to. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.